bless people. Look at what it says here in Matthew 9, 1. The Bible says he got into a boat, crossed over, so he's crossing over this lake, and look at what the Scripture says, and he came to his own city. I want you to just think about that thought for just a minute. His own city. Is Bethlehem where he was born his city? Is it, is it Nazareth, that, that city that... Well, you know the story there in Mark chapter 6. When he comes to Nazareth, they actually are offended by him. And they reject him altogether. Is this Jerusalem? That's his own city. Surely it's Jerusalem, the city of prophecy, the city of David, the city where the Messiah is going to come back to the earth and establish his reign. That's his city, right? Actually, it's none of those. Now again, I want to, I want to take just a minute and share with you today a story of three cities. The first one is Nazareth. Let's take a second. and We're going to just look at the progression of his ministry. This is found in Mark chapter 6. So if you will, take just a second and turn here. Mark chapter 6. Look at what the Bible says about his own hometown. This is the city that Jesus grew up in. This is the city where Jesus learned to be a carpenter. This is a city where everyone in town saw him, knew him, went to synagogue with him. Let me just read these verses to you. It says, when he came out from there and came to his own country, his own area, the area of Nazareth, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. Many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is given to him that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And then look at what the Scripture says. They were offended at him. They're shocked. Now, again, we're going to get to Holy Week in just a minute, but I want you to see this. Here's the beginning, literally, of Jesus' ministry, his own hometown. Now, he's been out, he's done some other things, but I'm sure somewhere in his heart, somewhere in his mind, he's thinking, I can't wait to get home to minister to my own people. And yet what happens when he finally gets home to Nazareth, the place where he grew up? They're not ready for this. And they actually, the Bible says, were offended at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, in his own house. And look at verse 5. This is amazing. He could do no mighty work there. It's amazing. There, There is a city that's called his city. We're going to talk about it in just a minute. Every time he comes to his city, supernatural things happen. But here, in his own hometown, Nazareth, 
Nothing happens. In fact, it actually says he could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick folk and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. you imagine that? Jesus only marvels only over two things. Can you remember what they are? All of his ministry, he marveled over two things. Who remembers what they were? He marvels at their unbelief. I'll give you that one. <laughs> what was the other one? Do you remember whose faith caused Jesus to marvel? The centurion. So let's go back and look at that real quick. It's found in Matthew. And it's actually in the context of this exact same story. Go to Matthew chapter 5. Or excuse me, chapter 8, verse 5. Matthew 8, 5. Okay, I just want you to see three cities and three responses. And, and you know, this, this week my prayer is that we would really prepare ourselves to meet the Lord. Because that's really what Holy Week is all about. You know, it's not going to be preparing to meet the Lord, though, on our terms it needs to be meeting the Lord on His terms. Somebody say amen. Look at Matthew 8, 5. The Bible says when Jesus had entered Capernaum. What do you think it is that's His city? Which city is His city according to Matthew 9, 1? It's Capernaum. And listen to what makes a city His city. He enters into Capernaum and a centurion came, comes to him and pleads with him saying, Lord, my servant lies at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. Do you remember the story? Who can tell me what the centurion says when Jesus says, I'll come and heal him? I'm not worthy for you to come. I'm sure the centurion has heard the Jews before and the rabbis talking about the Gentiles and how if a Gentile and a Jew uh, get together and if, if, uh, you know, if, if a Gentile were to go to a rabbi's house, it would make him unclean. And this is what the guy's expecting you know, out of Jesus. Jesus says, I'll come and heal him. I care about your servant, your friend. And yet, the guy realizes one thing. Jesus only has to say the word, and this guy will be healed. You ever really thought about this centurion for a minute? Let me just give you a quick, quick understanding. The centurion knows Jesus has been healing the sick. Who's the only one that can heal the sick? It's God himself. So what does that mean about Jesus? He's God's man. He's got to have the power of God somehow to do what he's doing. Well, if it's God that's doing it, does Jesus have to go to his house? Or can the guy just say a word and his servant be healed? You know what Jesus says? I haven't found any faith like this anywhere in Israel. So I want to ask you, what does it take to have a city be called his city? I think it's the response of the people in the city. Could you call Chicago his city? 
Why is that? Bottom line is, Chicago isn't that hungry for God. You know, in Seoul, Korea, in any morning, tens of thousands of people wake up three in the morning, four in the morning, five in the morning, and go to prayer mountains all over Seoul, Korea, and pray and seek God. I wonder if you could say that Seoul is God's city. Is there a city on earth right now where more than half of the people in the city are born again and hungry for God? The answer is yes. The problem is it's not here in the United States. I look at this town, it's amazing. The Bible says this little bitty town, Capernaum, is actually his city. How do you become his city? Well, it starts with people like the centurion. And just, just take a minute and read this with me. What's the very next thing happens after the centurion servant is healed? Well, if you look at verse 14 of Matthew 8, Peter, or excuse me, when Jesus had come to Peter's house, he sees his wife's mother lying sick with a fever. He touches her by the hand. The fever leaves her and she arises and serves him. And as a result of that miracle, listen to this. When evening had come, they brought to him. Who's the they? The people in the city. The city literally starts a healing crusade. They bring to Jesus, look at this, Many who were demon-possessed, he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all that were sick. How does a city become his city? Because the city believes in him. The city understands the opportunity that they've been given by God. And literally as a, as a group, they come out in mass. They bring everybody that is sick, all those that are being tormented, those that are in need. The whole city comes out. And they have a healing crusade. Somebody say amen. That is awesome. Well, if you just read the story, Jesus goes from there to the other side of the lake to heal the guy that's possessed with multiple devils, the Gadarean demoniac. He comes back across the lake. And this is where we start with Matthew 9, 1. He got into a boat, crosses over, and comes to his own city. And look at verse 2 real quick. Behold, they brought to him a paralytic. It's, it's, you know, they had brought everybody they knew of before. Now they found another one. The minute he walks into Capernaum, they, the crowd, the people, bring a paralytic. He's lying on a bed. Well, what do you think happens, church? Jesus does what Jesus does. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power. And he went around doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. Here's a paralytic. He's paralyzed. Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. He heals the guy on the spot. 
Look at verse 18 as he's, as he's just sharing these stories and actually as he's defending what he's done because some people are offended at his healing power and that he would forgive sins. I got news for you. Only God can forgive sins and Jesus forgave sins. So what does that tell you about Jesus? Yeah, he's God in the flesh. It's a true statement. Only God can forgive sins. That's right. That's our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Look at this. Verse 18. While he spoke these things, a ruler came worshiping him, saying, My daughter has just died. Come, lay your hands on her, and she will live. I'm telling you, this guy may supersede the centurion in great faith. We're not really told about it. This is Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Again, what makes a city his city, guys? It's the response of the people in the city. Can I go a little further? What makes a church his church? The response of the people in the church. Are we satisfied? Are we complacent? Are we hungry? Are we zealous for more of God? Are these a couple of worship songs that we sing this morning? Or is this the cry of our hearts? Lord, we want more of you. See, this is real Christianity, guys. Jairus, he's desperate. His daughter's dead. And it's amazing. This is, this is what makes a city his city. While they're going to raise this girl from the dead, does anybody remember what happens? The woman with the issue of blood comes up, grabs him by his tunic or his coat, whatever he was wearing, his robe that day, and she says, if I can just touch him, I'm going to be made whole. Well, could you imagine this town? What makes this city so incredible is their faith, their expectation. They realize this is that the prophet from God sent to heal, to restore, to reverse all these works of the enemy. This woman comes. She has, you know, it's, it's amazing. Does a bleeding woman have a right to touch somebody? It's like the leper in a very real sense. The leper sort of kicks off this guy's healing ministry in Mark chapter 1. The leper doesn't have any right to be there and ask for anything. He, he could be stoned to death. He's jeopardizing everybody in town's health. By his very presence in the city, anybody could catch leprosy. And the leper is so desperate. If you want to, you could make me clean. That leper understands the power of God. He doesn't understand the love of God. If you wanted to, you have the power. I know you could do this for me if you cared about me. He's probably been taught by the religious leaders that his leprosy is a curse from God and he has no right to have any kind of hope even for a miracle. Lepers die of leprosy. Just deal with that, man. And he doesn't. He can't. There's, there's something on the inside of him. I know if I can get to this man, I could be healed. This woman has that same kind of faith. She presses through the crowd. She, and literally, she just gets in there, grabs him, and gets a miracle. See, what makes a city his city? It's the hunger in the people's heart. You, you think that's where it's going to stop? How many of you know this is a pretty big chapter? It's just one after another, after another, after another of people that were hungry, 
people that reached out to God. Can I say this to you? Until you get hungry, until you get active and going after the things of God, you'll most likely, He's not going to come and knock your house down. He's waiting in a very real sense for you to get hungry and go to Him. You know, one day I did a Bible study in Mark's Gospel of how many times did Jesus initiate the miracles. Now, in just the ones that we've talked about, the, the, the servant is healed. Did the servant initiate the miracle? Did Jesus initiate the miracle? Or did someone else initiate the miracle? The centurion initiated the miracle. It wasn't Jesus that initiated the miracle. When they had the healing crusade, did Jesus put up a big banner and say, bring the sick tonight, I'm praying for the sick? No. Who starts the miracles. The people do. I mean, think about when this paralytic is healed. Who starts the miracle? The people do. When Jairus' daughter is raised from the dead, did Jesus start that or did Jairus start that? Come on now, guys. The same thing here with the woman with the issue of blood. Can I be so bold as to say that Jesus was absolutely passive and doesn't even know in the crowd who got healed? And that is why he asked the question, who touched me? I want to tell you right now, it is easier for us to touch Jesus now than it was for the woman 2,000 years ago. Because you would have had to get through a crowd, get to a specific place, and grab a hold of this guy. And right now, this morning, here in this building, you can seek the Lord. You can touch Jesus literally today. It's amazing when we read these passages. And again, it's just, it's one after another. The two blind, I mean, it's amazing. He raises Jairus' daughter from the dead after this woman is healed with the issue of blood. And look with me real fast at verse 27. He departs from there and two blind men follow him. This guy can't get a break. He walks from, from one miracle. He's interrupted on his way to the miracle by a miracle. And, go, and the very next thing happens, two blind men are screaming out. And listen to this. This is amazing. When he had come to the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said, Do you believe I am able to do this? I'll be really honest with you. I think Jesus is trying to have almost like a heart check here for a minute. We've got the dead being raised. We've got every kind of thing happening. No blind man in history that we have record of to this point in time comes to a prophet, certainly none ever come to Jesus, and says, restore my sight. Do you believe I can? You know, what makes a city his city? It's this kind of faith, guys. Yea, Lord, we believe. Well, be it done to you according to your faith. It's amazing. In Nazareth, his own hometown. Listen, we're going to get to Jerusalem, so just hang in there a minute, guys. In Nazareth, his own hometown, they refused to believe. In Capernaum, this little bitty insignificant fishing village, 
on the side of a lake. Can you find Capernaum in one Old Testament prophecy? Forget it. Go ahead and break out your concordance. I got news for you. It is insignificant. And yet, amazingly so, it's called his city. His city because of the faith, the expectancy, the hunger that the people have. He heals the blind man. And what happens? He goes out and they bring another demon-possessed man. Verse 32. All this in Capernaum. All this seemingly in one day. The demon was cast out. Verse 33. The mute spoke. The multitudes marveled. It has never been seen like this in Israel. That's right. It never has been. The dead are raised. The lepers are cleansed. The blind eyes are open. The demons are cast out. Literally supernatural Christianity has descended upon this city. Now, if that were all that I could read about in Matthew's Gospel concerning this city, I would be very happy. The problem is it's not. Go with me to Matthew 11. Go with me to Matthew 11. Are you with me so far? You're seeing this incredible town, incredible faith, incredible expectancy. But look at what Jesus says about this town in Matthew 11. Now look at verse 20 because this summarizes the cities where Jesus did the greatest miracles response. He began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done because they did not repent. Look at what it says specifically about Capernaum in verse 23. You, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven will be brought down to hell. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, they would have remained to this day. I want you to listen for just a minute. Capernaum is a city full of faith and expectancy for miracles. But you know what Capernaum really isn't interested in? Godly character and holiness. They they know Jesus is a prophet sent from God. He can cast out devils. He can raise the dead. He can do anything as far as the power of God is revealed. When it comes for them allowing God to work in their hearts and to change their character and to change their lives and to make them holy, godly men and women, they weren't interested in that. And you understand that signs and wonders point to something even greater. The reality of a relationship with God. You know, I read this, it's amazing. In Nazareth, I'm going to just be real with you, nothing really happens The people aren't even interested. In Capernaum, a lot of miracles happen, but no character transformation. It's amazing if, if, if this morning... We, we, we were known as a miracle-working group. I promise you there'd be a whole lot more people in church today. But I bet you if, if, if we also teach the other side 
of that coin, holiness, godliness, purity, that we would love the Lord with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, that we would overcome the world. I wonder how many people would sign up for that message. Capernaum, this, this, I'm telling you, it's his city, and it is his city. Every time he shows up, the power of God shows up, but Jesus wanted something more than just a demonstration of his power over demons and sickness and disease and death. Can I tell you that he has all the power we need over demons, sickness, disease, death, anything else. You know what God's looking for? Godly character. A transformed heart and a transformed life. Okay, that's Capernaum. Now let's go to Jerusalem. This is Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Or excuse me, 21. I'm getting ahead of myself. Matthew chapter 21. If you will, take a minute and, and, and let's look at this entry into Jerusalem. Matthew 21, 1, when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, go into the village opposite you, and immediately you'll find a donkey tied and a colt there. Loose them and bring them to me. If anyone asks or says anything to you, all you shall say is, the Lord has need of them. And immediately they'll send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did it, he said. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and it set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out. Listen to these words. Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. What was the prophecy? Does anybody remember it? Who's the Son of David, first of all? He's the Messiah. And God is going to have his son sit on the throne of David. And this is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Jesus sitting on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy in Zechariah where this, this king is going to come lowly into the city. Can I tell you that, that kings don't ride donkeys, they ride white horses. Biggest, most beautiful horse you can find in your nation is what the king rides. This one's coming in on a donkey. What kind of king is that? Well, when we see the power of God and the miracles demonstrated, if he wants a donkey, he can have a donkey. It's basically their thinking. Jesus shows up. They start shouting, Hosanna. Glory to God in the highest. This king is coming into his city. Let me ask you real quick. How is it possible for a crowd on Sunday to be shouting Hosanna to the son of David and by Friday shouting crucify him, crucify him? 
We just saw it in Capernaum, this incredible city full of miracles. Come and heal us. Come and touch us. Come and bless us. Come and heal our bodies. Heal our children. But don't ask us to change our lives because we're not interested in that. We want to do our own thing our own way. We believe in you. We thank you for your, your good power and your graciousness to us. But don't ask us to change our lives. Here in Jerusalem, they want a king. What kind of king do you think they want? Do they want a king that's going to come and die for the sin of the world? Or do they want a king that's going to overthrow the Roman government? A king that's going to set up a new government? Remember what the... It's amazing. His own disciples. Remember what the disciples asked? Lord, is this the time you're going to establish your kingdom? I mean, it's time to rule, Jesus. Rise up. It's time to rule. Get on the ball, Jesus. Set things right. Overthrow Caesar. Use this power that you have. Obviously, God is with you. You can do anything. We'll worship you. We'll celebrate you. We'll invite you into the city. So what does he do? Does anybody remember his first act as he walks into the city? He goes to the temple, and what does he do? He cleans out the temple, drives them out that were buying and selling. It's amazing. It was so perverted. You know, in the temple, you can't use a Roman coin because it has Caesar's image on it. Do you know what they immediately make you do when you walk into the temple? You have to exchange your money. Think they're going to give you a straight one-for-one exchange, or are they going to burn you big time? So you could buy one of their pre-approved sacrificial doves or lambs or whatever. Unbelievable, the perversion of the religious system of the day. And, and let me ask you this. What was Jesus' heart? What was his intention? Look at verse 13. When he comes into this temple, he tells us, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer. But you've made it a den of thieves. A house of prayer. Can I say to you today, the church should be a place where people can come and meet God. It's not a, you know, it it simply isn't anything else. Unless the men, the leaders, make it into something else. Jesus walks into town. Do you imagine this? The Bible says that he literally set his face to go to Jerusalem. Well, he's finally showed up. And yet, what's the first thing that he has to deal with? The condition of the temple. You know what? The Jews wanted him to straighten out Rome. What did God want him to straighten out? The temple. So many of us, I, I, I can't help it. I, I get around all these guys. A lot of my friends that are pastors are extremely conservative thinkers. They're so upset with this government, the liberals, the, the crazy things that are happening, all this deficit spending and everything. And it's amazing. We, we get together. I've actually heard of conferences for Christian leaders where you're dealing with how do we cope within this climate that we live in politically, and it it blows my mind because if God were involved, you know what God would want to clean up? 
Not Washington, but the church. It doesn't matter that, that we have anybody passing any laws of any sort. The question is, can we pray here? Can we seek the Lord right here? Could we be men and God, men and women of God right here? We don't need to worry about what's going on anywhere else in the whole world as long as we are right in our hearts and in our lives. How about our families? We're so upset they've taken prayer out of school. Who legislated that you could not pray in your own house? Oh, we don't like it. They took the Ten Commandments off the wall. But who took the Bible out of your hand? Nobody. You know, if, if we're not careful, we're liable to do exactly what Jerusalem did and say, Oh, Jesus, come, come, Lord, straighten out those stinking liberals in Washington. And the whole time, He's wanting us to repent, to get our hearts and lives right. Man, I look at the miracle. You know, I, I'm telling you right now, when I read this and I think about these three cities, can I tell you right now, I see three churches that look exactly like this. There's a church so full of unbelief that has rejected the Bible, that has rejected the things of God, that they're just like Nazareth. And I mean, God hasn't moved in there in centuries. There's another church that's alive and well on the earth where everyone is preoccupied with miracles, signs, and wonders, and we want to see the power of God move, but we don't want to live godly, holy lives. And then there's another church that's interested in politics and trying to take over the United States or whatever or the world with, with their, they're going to win these elections and they're going to 